and welcome to Power Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we reflect on Wabo's most triumvirate work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are here to talk about Pale, the little old story you may have heard of. Um, before that, though, as a quick reminder, we are running a fan art contest for everybody, not just patrons. Any old person can make some art of monsters. So if you have yes. art revolving around monsters, whether that's literal monsters like um, Marisica. Marisica, yep, or figurative <laughs> monsters like Avery. Avery. That's right, you heard it here. First. <laughs> Hot scoop, yeah, it's been a wild <laughs> few chapters, so let's talk about them. Um, the chapters we'll be talking about are Out on a Limb 3.4 and Out on a Limb 3.5, plus gifts received, and we'll be talking about some predictions from Pale Predictor. Let's start, though, with Out on a Limb 3.4, which is from the perspective of Lucy. Yay, Lucy. Um, and it starts with people extending an invite to Lucy, literally, to go to a cool party um, while they're in bio class. Yeah. Um, and, and so before we sort of dig into that, because that's that's absolutely worth talking about as well, um, something that sort of comes up in Lucy's opening thoughts on the chapter that really jumped out to me um, was has she, Lucy outlines like where everyone's sitting in this class because they have assigned seating and I don't know if this always jumps out to me because it, at least when I went to school like we didn't have any assigned seating you just went into the room and sat wherever the hell you wanted um so like as an idea it's always fascinated me and and, and in particular it's sort of brought up that in this class uh Mr. Lai seats them in rows just like alphabetically there's sort of this complete disregard for social factors or anything like it's just i like it, it yeah it, exactly it, it's kind of like because i think the only thing that ever happened at my school was if like you know particular groups of kids were disruptive together yeah they'd be you'd, you'd you'd split them up yeah, yeah exactly um whereas this is just kind of like i really don't give a shit about where like what your social situation is just sit next to the people who come alphabetically next to you um probably makes marking the role a lot easier as well mm. um but yeah, I mean, it, it obviously it, it's a really fun way for the story to kind of throw Lucy in the deep end a bit because um, the Kennedys have a bit of a habit of just sticking together or being by themselves. Yes, um, and this is just a, you know a fun way to sort of be like, no, Lucy, you have to sit next to other people and and talk to them for a bit. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, one of the moments, it's weird because it really kind of gives us an opportunity to see how Lucy interacts with kids more because we obviously saw the class ranker stuff, but we didn't really see her interact with people much. We saw a bit of it with Melissa in our last episode, but um, we have these weird moments in this chapter where Lucy really just feels like, I guess, more mature than her classmates is really the only way to put it, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, mean, I think so. Yeah, and then she gets a she gets a why don't you smile more dropped on her, and I was just like, oh, oh. <laughs> how do hey, people uh, who say specifically that not realize that they're like like it's a like walking stereotype? Thing. I know it's the most nonsensical thing to say. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> good times, good times um, in high school. Yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah. So, but like the, the sort of wider thing about this is like Lucy you know, thinks about this a lot as it's happening and, and she's kind of considering the whole sort of angle of, of you know, what Booker said. Mm. Um, like she's taking 
what I would describe as a very pragmatic approach to how she thinks about going to this party. Um, like she compares it to how she sort of, you know, is bulletproofing herself with her morning routine. Um, and, 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 you know, she, she's sort of like, okay, well, if I go to this and kind of invest time in being around them in a social setting, they'll feel obligated not to be shitty to me. <laughs> so, but wait, wait, there's no, there's no moment where she's like, oh, this might be fun. She's sort yes. of like, oh, this will probably be babysitting or whatever, but there's sort of like, it, yeah, it's this very analytical kind of, I will go to the party to, you know, get social points Yeah, that, you know, means that, you know, they can't be mean to me, which is, you know, I guess like it, 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 a good sign or whatever, but it, um, there's some bits yeah, here where she interacts with Alexa. Yeah. Sorry? It's it's a reason to do it, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm glad because I think, I hope, it will be sort of the the start of like you know she'll go there and end up having fun. Yeah. It. So something else that happens in this in this part is we get a bit more of Verona and Jeremy. Is that his name? Um, yeah. Hanging out and Verona's still like, ugh, can't. I I don't even know why I'm talking to him. You know, it, it, it reminds me of what's happening here with Lucy, where it's like you want them to be pushed a little bit to be get out of their shell in terms of socializing with people who aren't just literally Verona and Lucy, right? Um, and yeah, Avery's exactly. had that to an extent, but it feels much more necessary for Lucy and Verona to actually have good interactions with people their own age that aren't the trio. Yeah, because in a kind of weird way, them having had each other allows them an outlet aside from, like, going to other people you know what i mean like like avery sort of sunk and she had to be brought back up to the surface and that involved meeting new people and like, mm. especially in this case these two uh lucy and verona can always kind of fall back on each other yeah um, and not just that but the fact that they both see like regular interaction with people their own age as a waste of their time means that they're yeah. kind of caught in this echo chamber of i mean yes they both do have valid reasons for that because they've yeah, been treated absolutely. shittily by by people their own age, of course. But it it it's kind of nice to to have that broken a little bit because I'm sure there are positive interactions and good people that they can interact with in Kenneth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I, I thought it was interesting reading this part where you know like Lucy has or or the world has sort of turned Lucy into someone who it expects good people to see past like any rough exterior she has and give her a chance and then i was sort of thinking oh you know maybe she isn't as willing to give other people a chance mm. um but then i was like well actually she's known most of these people since they were in diapers probably mm. like and you know even just in this conversation here a few of them give up like their chance yeah um mr smile man in particular i've forgotten mm -hmm. his name yeah. um but like I like, I don't know. There's a moment here, like you know, Alexa has the bit where she's like, "Why are you always such a downer?" And then Lucy's just kind of like, "Well, you know, I, I, I'm thinking sort of longer term." And then Alexa has that bit where she gets caught and she sort of has to turn around and be like, "You were right." Um, and then like Lucy does smile, and I just took that as like you know this hope of like, "Oh, okay, they're like this could be good somewhere." Like you know, yeah. if, if Lucy lets those people see that brighter side of her, like you know. It, it might just be better for everyone. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. It's good. It it is good. It's um, yeah. It's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, you brought up the the Verona and Jeremy thing. I like. I just love the reaction Lucy and in particular Avery have to that. It's like everyone ships Verona and Jeremy except Verona. Yeah. Actually, maybe even 
maybe not actually like not accept Verona. Like maybe even Verona. She just, Verona. She, yeah, she just she doesn't just know yet. Doesn't <laughs> let herself do it yet. You know. Um, yeah. No, it's very nice. It's that part of a of of a young relationship where it's like you know they're they're kind of they're in this position of like talking to each other enough that they're starting to uh, I don't know the word for it circle the drain of a relationship well that sounds so negative whatever the <laughs> positive version of that is um but they're but verona specifically is is not yet realizing that that's what a relationship looks like when it's brand new <laughs> yeah i mean she's just it, it's kind of like i think she wants a relationship she just doesn't want it to be a relationship if, if mm. that makes sense like it's just that as an idea has been poisoned to her so she kind of needs something without labels um yes. for her to like yes. be okay with it yeah it'll take her a while to be, feel ready to be in what she would think of as a relationship so the longer exactly. it can masquerade as something else the better <laughs> <laughs> i mean luckily jeremy seems on board with that or cognizant of it or, or whatever yes yeah i think he's being i mean you know we haven't seen that much of their interactions but from what the previous interaction with the cat was it seems like he's being pretty chill about it because he realizes that yeah the right approach um so thumbs up jeremy um let's talk about this ecosystems chat shall we um yes so lucy basically starts talking to the biology teacher about uh how collections of others work i mean and she's trying to you know vaguely disguise it as something biology related but i'm a little bit i was surprised that she thought this would be useful i guess but he does give some answers that at least prompt some thoughts in her um which is nice yeah like you know i I think every time we see bits of their schoolwork i come in the next episode and i'm like this will mean something you just wait (laughs) um yeah yeah. this one quite explicitly uh you know does like because i think yeah you're right they start to use biological modeling to kind of represent stuff that's going on here but i think the thing is like what's fun here is like biological modeling like you always sort of you have to simplify things because Mm. i mean well that's what modeling is yes um and it never quite works because you you simplify things and, and that's kind of explicitly addressed in these segments when they're like wait so is the invasive species yes exactly all the practitioners um oh and is the gardener is that miss or the cut like, you know, like, like yeah it doesn't really can, track well you can use these angles to analyze the same situation from sort of multiple ways and that's sort of the thing like, this is a complex ecosystem and you can use these models to try and inspect certain aspects of it in f- from certain angles but it, it doesn't give you the whole picture because that's not what it isn't doing that's not what you're doing by definition yeah i i think the only real beat that we get that kind of feels like any kind of answer i suppose is when mr Lai says you know uh, actually one of the only things i took from it was when mr Lai says it, instead of calling it collapse use a different word because it's not a collapse it's just there will become a new equilibrium at some point it just is you know we'll have to see what happens in the interim right um yeah exactly and i mean because there's obviously like mixed into the 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 general biology stuff like mr lie sort of pivots into these garden metaphors which i I think i remember reading in one of his blog posts or something that wabo used to be a a gardener so it it makes sense to me that like this would be a metaphor that just came through as so clear to me because like wabo's probably pulling from his past yeah um but i love this this idea of you know 
Mr. Lai talking about how the gardens we create normally they require so much effort because they they are artificial. Mm. And like in my mind, I was like at one point applying that to what Miss has done here in town. But then I was like, oh, or, or do you also say that that's what normal like practitionery stuff is, and Miss is mm. trying to create something more self sustaining? Like, was mm. that what she was trying to do? Like, it's what I love yeah. about these these things is I was like trying to look at all different aspects of this story and world through these lenses, and I could come up with with things for all of them. It's yeah, fun. there's. I think. Yeah, maybe there's something in here that will seem like it applies quite strongly in retrospect, but at this point it's too vague of a way to apply this metaphor for us to really be like, and this is what we're saying here. You know, there's too many interpretations. <laughs> yeah, and they all seem to have some sort of merit. And uh, yes. I don't know, I kind of feel like maybe that's the point, is mm. is that a lot of these things are sort of saying, yeah, these are complex, you know, not contained ecosystems, stuff's going to come in and out it's always going to be kind of uncontrollable and and yeah. i says the one thing that comes out of it is mr lies sort of like what you need to do is figure out a way to either have a gardener or have a, like a self-sustaining ecosystem and what we don't know at the moment is okay well, what is that in this context how do you create that here mm. yeah yeah um so yeah this kind of prompts some thoughts uh, and the trio begin to plan their next steps here uh, it seems like they, they're still thinking about the origins of the HC um, and what theories might be around how it create how it was created. Yeah. Um, I think what's really funny, though, is as they – so they, they leave school and they sort of keep trying to talk or, about business, but mm -hmm. the conversation keeps turning into, like, checking each other okay. Like, they, they check on – Avery and, and Lucy sort of are like, hey, Verona, how are things with your dad? And, you know, like, Obviously, they're not they're not great, but she's she's dealing, and they offer to help, and she's sort of like thanks, but no. Um, Lucy and Verona kind of check how Avery's doing. I don't think Lucy gets her moment, but that's about right for her, unfortunately. <laughs> um, it, it's just like it, I I don't know, but I I still felt it was heartwarming that it's like before they actually manage to consistently stay on topic about the business, they kind of check with each other. It's like oh how how are we doing? Mm. Um. Yeah. yeah. Also, yeah. Avery Avery says that she just wants to go home and hug her trashy hobo child, which I don't have anything to say about that. I just wanted to say it. I just <laughs> it's such a good line. <laughs> uh, relatable, very relatable. Um, so yeah, let's let's touch on the theories that they kind of bring up here, right? So sure. I mean, these aren't mutually exclusive, but they're all just kind of points that they think about um yeah yeah the first is thinking of the hungry quiet as an, an invasive species that's kind of been introduced to an environment that suits it and now it is going out of control as you know invasive species are wont to do yeah exactly it's a, it's a rabbit or a, or a cane toad yeah. for us australians mm -hmm. um i mean yeah i guess the like the, the obviously interesting thing that they go into after this is is it you know like rabbits and cane toads something that was introduced on purpose and has spiraled out of control. Mm. Yeah. Like, you know, and if Charles, if Charles put this together from Yolda, I'm skipping ahead a bit, yeah, but like, sure. you know, if, if he did that and there was like a point and then it's like, well, what if it, you know, yeah, just went beyond what they expected. Yeah. Maybe there was an original intention that has become warped and deformed. That is now what the hungry choir has become. Although having said that they do, you know, from a few chapters ago, we have, or two chapters ago, I think, we had the beat that Alexander said that the Hungry Choir hasn't actually significantly adapted since it 
was first in air quotes introduced right um, but yeah but what I, if it yeah. was what if it was like what if it's grown like you know it could be that thing where it's like you know oh you, you introduce a species to um i mean well, cane toads don't work because they didn't even do what they were brought here to do you know it's mm-hmm. like oh like okay what if you know the the situation was yolda was making people sick or having a bad effect on the town it was like okay yeah. we can't kill her but what we can do is transform her into something that will spread that suffering out right. yes and, and um and, and you know like sort of put it in this ritual and then the ritual blew out and it's like okay so before Oops. you know <laughs> yeah maybe it's just killing more people than they expected or, or, or something like that you know yeah. and maybe uh maybe this goes against what you were just sort of about you know maybe when it started it, it was only like every full moon or something and it's like growing mm. in power and now the the nights are more frequent and it's getting more victims i don't know mm. yeah interesting yeah I, I like that um so the second one is well th- why is the hungry choir in kennet was the question that they were trying to answer and th- Possibly the answer is uh, Kennet shares something in common with ghost towns, potentially that they there are no practitioners here, which feels pretty good as a response to me. Yes, or, or, or sort of the opposite was something that was brought up, which is if, like, like Kennet is special in terms of the towns, which, you know, yes. like if it was made from Yolder or yeah. if, you know, is there something specifically tying the Hungry Choir to Kennet? To Kennet, or is it just another town like the ghost towns, but then why? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then third is, is the Hungry Choir's creation related to the death of Yolta? Those timelines yes. kind of line up. Is there more to, to it there? Yeah. I mean, we, we, we sort of touched on this in the last episode, actually. I was like, I was very proud of making that connection and then <laughs> read this chapter and I was like, okay, no, by the time this episode came out, everyone had already just seen the story explicitly, uh, draw <laughs> it. Um, uh, isn't that always the way? But, um, I'm... I, I'm pretty convinced there's something like at this point, especially now that the story's kind of directly brought it up, I would be surprised to learn that the Hungry Choir isn't of Yolda to some significant yeah. degree. Like at this point I've I've just kind of accepted it as truth and now I'm here like so why? Like that's that's the question I keep coming back to is what was the point of doing this? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I so the other the other thing that kind of comes up, although it's not as firmly discussed. Is the idea of where does uh, Kennet, you know, where do the Kennet others, the Council of Kennet, where did that mm. start? You know, that's something that they're trying to think about more because it seems like it is, um, you know, becoming more and more important. Yes. I'm glad they're thinking about it because <laughs> it is going to be important, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, speaking of things, I think we've talked about the last few episodes. I think that was something where we kept being like, please go into the history of this town more. It, it that There's something there. Um, yeah, I mean, we get we get some answers to this, but like Edith and Matthew seem intentionally vague on it. Even reading this more carefully again for my second read through, I was like listening to what Matthew said about how they got into town and what it was like when they got here, and I was like, I don't understand any of what he's really saying here. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah. I no, please. Yeah. So I I don't know. I'm just like. I guess this ties into, you know, the whole why of the Hungry Choir then also has me thinking, like, why was the Carmine Beast killed? Like, did it did it just get too close? Was she investigating the Hungry Choir or something and, and got too close and it killed her? Was she pointed too close? Um, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's so much to think about there. Mm. It's weird, isn't it? I, I we'll touch on this when we get to the Pale Predictor as well, but I think the thing that we really don't know is 
what's the motive of all this, right? Because the original motive that was put forward was, you know, someone's kind of trying to take power here. That's the motive that seemed the most obvious. But hmm. we're getting to the point where that just doesn't seem likely, right? Like it just seems <laughs> so not the motive. That it, well, what are they waiting for? If yeah, exactly. Is. You know, like it's been what seven weeks, eight weeks, right? Um, what's why? Yeah, why? Why did like? And <laughs> and we're talking about now. We're talking about Charles and the Carmine Beast and the Hungry Choir and stuff. And like that's all well and good. That's a mystery in and of itself. But what does that have to do with the Carmine Beast? <laughs> right? Like, what? Why is that relevant? That's the thing. That's the missing piece, right? Because even if it is. You know, Yolda was converted into the Carmine Beast and they used, used Charles's knowledge of how to make others to do it or whatever, right? Which is kind of the leading kind of theory now. What does that imply for the Carmine Beast? Why is, is it just two completely unrelated things? That can't be right, right? Like that's just too narratively nonsensical. Yeah. Well, and so I guess the other thing here is if the Hungry Choir is something where a few people in town kind of own it and presumably are, are getting power from it. Yes. Wait, wait, there's there's good odds that that is the case. Why would they also want or need the Carmine Beast as a power source? Yeah. Or is it like is this like is this like an internal fight in Canada? Like, you know, do yeah. do Charles and Matthew have control of the Hungry Choir and then fucking John was like, why and have it any of that so he went and killed the Carmine Beast and now it's like two of the biggest power sources in all of Canada are just like being like this small town squabble has just blown has way out of proportion. Taken these two big power sources, yeah, maybe. <laughs> or the other potential interpretation is the common beast in its role as some kind of judicial force was, you know, found this out or it was making some kind of punitive measure play mm. and then had to go. I, I don't know. None of those feel yeah. right though, right? Like, well, I, I guess the other the other thing I thought about is okay, if we're assuming Charles is involved, and like obviously the thing about Charles is. He must have an accomplice because he can't practice yes, since he's, he's obviously can't. so. Yeah. So like it can't be him by himself. But yeah. if he if he was responsible for for doing something like creating the hungry choir, like what that's saying to me is he has the ability to like alter others like this, like sort of reshape them. And obviously, like we know that Carmine Beast wasn't everyone's favorite person, mm. particularly Charles. Like I wonder if he and his accomplice. Because the thing like, we keep hearing is like the Carmine Beast hasn't died and its energy is all still here. Yeah. What if like it's just taking a while for Charles to cook it into a form that's more what he wants? Yeah, maybe next week there'll be a new other in town called, you know, Carmine Betty or whatever. And Charles will be like, hey, yeah. I met this cool new other. Don't ask where they came from. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just, um, like, if, if, if he just like rearranges the Carmine Beast energy into a form that he wants and it's like, you know, it, it takes its old spot but it has different priorities you know in particular i think like charles tried to appeal to the carmine beast and it wouldn't hear from him mm. um to kind of unforswear maybe charles is turning it into someone who would or you know not yeah. him having someone else turn it especially because you know and like this is why i feel like all this stuff is coming up in terms of edith and matthew just because yeah. again i still like we still kind of get those creepy vibes of them about the way edith was shaped well, we'll, we'll get to that. about that yeah I, yeah yeah um, the other thing to think of is, you know, from what we know about Yalda at this point, she is some kind of dog, which mm -hmm. is a type of beast, and also Sang, which has something to do with Hungry Choir. So potentially Yalda was dismantled into two entities, one of which 
is the Carmine Beast, one of which is the Hungry Choir. And then that's something? Although the Carmine Beast is much older than that, right? So that doesn't quite track. I was going to say, I feel like it would have come up if the Carmine Beast was only was nine years old. also nine years old. It would be too suspicious. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, wouldn't it have, like, didn't they say John would become the Carmine Dog? Like, wouldn't Yolda also become a Carmine Dog? I, yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I don't know, <sighs> I don't know yeah. man. I don't know. It's like, okay. But it, this, it feels this... like we're reaching that point in the story where, like, we, we're kind of getting enough pieces that I feel like, oh, any second now, yeah. we're going to get something that just, like, clicks, clicks it, all it all into place. Into place. It, I mean, I had this exact same experience just to do a little plug for a game called Outer Wilds that we are playing on the game club currently, where you get yes. to a point where you have <laughs> all the pieces, the you have all the puzzle pieces. And you just need to put them together. And you know that they're all kind of, you know the rough shape of each puzzle piece, but you just don't quite quite get how they click in yet. Um, that feels like where we're at right now, right? Yes. What anyway. we don't have at this point is like a rumor, a rumor board. Um, yes, God, we need the, we need the rumor mode so we can take a look close at to each other. Yeah, see which planet we yeah. need to go visit. That's our request for the next extra material. <laughs> is the Outer Wilds themed rumor board? <laughs> bail. Um, if you want to know what we're talking about, tune into the game club tomorrow. More on that later. Anyway, so theories aside, um, you know, the trio uh, heads off to chat to Matthew and Edith to finally get around to these final interviews. Well, theoretically final. They also have an interview with Louise. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, at this point, I'm wondering if we'll even get to Louise. I think it would be funny. Louise if they is going to be the villain of the whole piece. That's the only thing that makes sense at this point. Um, I could just say it like, like, our three so far has a little bit been defined by them like finishing off these interviews here uh after the the whole avery and, and miss thing happened and i'm just kind of like it'd be funny if they're like okay we're gonna go interview louise and finish these off and like on their way there the shit just hits the fan and it doesn't actually happen <laughs> yeah um i mean yeah. what what dope clues is louise gonna drop though right like <laughs> the fact that she's been left to last there's gotta be something in there and if there is something in there, we presumably know it too, right? That's what I was about to say. Like the the, the funny thing about Louise being saved for last is I'm kind of like, but what information? We, know can, it. we yeah, saw exactly. it from her perspective. We know more than she does at this point. <laughs> like, yes. Um, yeah. So what did we what did we what's miss? What's the puzzle piece in there that is important? Maybe we should go yeah. back and reread. I, I feel yeah, like there's really got to be something should. in there anyway. It'll be one of those things where, again, we're outclassed. Like, you know, a couple of 13-year-old girls are going to figure it out. Um, like, yeah. in the interview, they'll, they'll interview Louise and they'll pick it apart and then we'll just be sitting here like, oh, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I, but, yeah, so, so so to go back to Matthew and Edith, um, I, I think it's really interesting how Matthew brings up, um, like, Hallows and, and mm. keeps framing... Uh, Kenneth in that regard because we just sort of learnt about those in Nicolette's interlude and saw how important they are um, and if we're taking the lens at the moment of like Miss as the gardener who was shaping Kenneth um, yes. in whatever way she was um, it's just so interesting this idea of how in this ecosystem as well when you have a garden that's sort of a safe place for others it tends to attract them and maybe mm. this maybe this is coming back to the theories on like why like if Kenneth was becoming a bigger and better hallow of safety from practitioners then like presumably it keeps growing and more others would keep coming like i wonder if it was the sort of place like maybe they couldn't escape and you know it's kind of silly for these others who keep talking about how oh we think generations ahead like 
Kenneth wasn't going to be able to hide forever. Eventually, yes. eventually it had to die. So what if that's something to do with it? Like if, if this place is a hallow that was going to keep attracting others who wanted to escape practitioners, it would continue to grow and it would become more and more noticeable and eventually something was going to have to break. And I wonder if this is, like, what, what if they knew that and this is their attempt to do that? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I don't know. I, you know, this is the first half of Matthew's interview, right? Um, yeah. And we'll talk about the second half in a bit, of course. But after this first half, I really wasn't suspicious of Matthew at all. Like, I feel like he's been <laughs> fairly on the level. The main thing that was suspicious Almost about him before... Almost on the level. Yeah, sure. The main thing that was suspicious <laughs> about him before now was the fact they hadn't interviewed him until last, honestly. And now I'm like, yeah, he's been pretty good about it. I don't know. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. There's just something I inherently think is unexplained or a bit off with him. And I don't even really know what it is, but like, uh, maybe I'm just reading Avery's vibes from next chapter that we'll get into, but I'm always just kind of like, I don't trust him. Mm. Yeah. If he, you know, if it's not, you know, oh, he's secretly Charles's buddy and they've been doing all this. Like, I I still feel like we're going to learn something about Matthew that makes me not think as highly of him. But I I could be wrong. To come back to the core problem, Elliot, these creatures can't lie, right? <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, the only solution is it is a combination of, you know, it can't just be Charles by himself, right? That's, we kind of know that. Yeah. Charles by himself doesn't, can't do this, but he can lie. So that's important. So maybe if there was another, I don't know, is there some other other that can lie that could be a good potential partner for Charles? Who can lie in the story that we've met so far, Elliot? Are you applying Snowdrop and Charles are in Cahoots? Snowdrop, like, you, you don't say. You interesting, <laughs> interesting. So that's the answer. It's Charles and Snowdrop together teamed up and killed the Garmin beast. <laughs> well, and then, and then she had Marissa glamour her into... Into a boss. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know, Marissa set up, and Marissa's probably in on it as well, set up Verona to find Snowdrop and be like, oh, there's just this random possum that you found. But actually, it's not. It was actually well, I, Snowdrop the entire time. I think there's, you know, like, I, I, I take all sorts of odds on whether or not Marissica is involved in mm. whatever bullshit's going on with the Hungry Choir and the Carmine Beast and how related they are. She may, not, she may be involved, she may not be. She's almost certainly aware of it, though. Like, I... yes. I feel like we're going to find it. It's like, even if she's not directly involved, it's going yeah. to kind of be like, you know, she was stoking the flames at the very least. I like, think probably Guillaume as well, to be honest. I think there's no yeah. way that they are not in some way, yeah, I, I don't know, in some way knowledgeable. Honestly, the same for Miss. <laughs> um, but that thread is yeah, I mean, it's. Now. I think it's very intentional that it, this is the point in the story where Miss just up and disappeared because it's kind of like as we start to put these particular pieces together mm. you're right there's no way that she wasn't involved or aware of of what was happening here here's and, the other um, thing sorry finish your no thought. you're right yeah the other thing i was going to say which is kind of a total tangent but i think is worth discussing maybe not a total is the fact that in you know your agatha christie's this is roughly the point of the story where the second murder happens right like oh yeah there's only been one murder i think or you know there's only been one murder sure have there been other crimes right that that this group is behind so 
or maybe this is the second murder. Maybe the first murder was Yolder. Second murder is Hungry Choir. Oh, sorry, uh, Carmine Beast. Third murder is yeah. Miss? Question mark. Like, is there <laughs> more crimes being done by the same perpetrator here? Or, or you know, it could be um, Melissa's leg or whatever. Right? Uh, is there the question is is there more stuff being done by the same perpetrator here that we just haven't connected yet? And I can't really think of what that would be except for manipulating it so that Miss is taken out of the picture. Um, I, I'm I'm currently thinking of Mrs. Uh, leaving as, like, uh, we talk here so much about these garden ecosystems and how, you know, you know the, those are the whole thing. They don't collapse. They sort of reform, right? And, yeah. And something we've been getting hit with since, like, Chapter Zero was, uh, oh, the... The Carmine Beast's death has been like upsetting the natural balance. So, like, things were already sort of getting more topsy turvy. And I kind of see Mrs. leaving as just like a result of that. Like, you know, the Carmine Beast dying made things more crazy and created these situations where Miss sort of sacrificed herself. Like, I, I'm kind of willing to let that heroic moment Miss had live on, um, despite whatever involvement she may have had in things up until mm. that point. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. You're right. Like learning about Yolder and the Hungry Choir being involved might sort of be like our, oh, this isn't the first time the killer is killed. Like a very mindhuntery. Yeah. Like no, they actually are a serial killer. Um, yeah. Or uh, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I like I could see this being the arc where you know I was talking about expecting more shit to hit the fan. Maybe we will get another another murder. Death. Yeah. Probably John at this point. Nah, I don't think it would be John. Who's the most likely? I mean, maybe Alpie. That would be pretty rough, but um, I could see it. But then she can't become anyone's familiar. Yes, I know, Elliot. That's why it would be poetic, I think. Anyway, so well, we'll my talk thinking more about with John is just they've had such a good relationship with John, you know, initial <laughs> gun to head and side. The chapter we're about to have, I think, as well. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, actually, yeah, okay, you know what, I'll, I'll save it for that. Yeah, cool, uh, let's like, dive into 3.5, because yeah. um, yeah. they they, these two chapters feel like they are one connected entity, right? Um, yeah. So Avery goes off uh, to spy on John in the interim between interviewing Matthew and Edith, and uh, her goal is basically gather some info on him when he isn't aware he's being watched, and it doesn't work. <laughs> it, it immediately <laughs> fails. <laughs> yes, although, like, we should also call out... Avery, like we we get this bit where she's she's running there, and it's more of her like ability to move. Now she's got like you know her her um her jump rope, Pegasus boots, and her jump rope, and it's just it's the coolest thing. Like like yeah. hearing about the way she's fucking zapping around and yeah. and stuff. Like it's like the coolest. You know, like those video games that have really satisfying movement. And you enter this like great flow. Mm-hmm. That's yep. what it sounds like to me. Like I, for for some reason, I keep thinking specifically the game Infamous when mm. doing Avery stuff because that game had like some teleporting stuff you could do to sort of zip around the battlefield and stuff. And then like I feel like that's what she's doing here, and it's I'm so jealous. Yeah, I mean it's it would be pretty fun to have a jump rope, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I want one. What is there a canonical name for it currently? Jump, I feel like jump rope's pretty good. Skipping rope's okay. Maybe escape rope is also not bad. Oh yeah, that's a good reference. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. They just sort of call it the rope. I think. <laughs> Lame. I think I like jump rope. Jump. All right. Um. So yeah, there's this bit where as Avery jumps to go and spy on John, 
we basically see the diagrams that she's got to to connection block starting to burn out almost immediately. And yeah. I mean, it becomes very, very clear that this is not, just not going to work. Um, and I think the interesting thing that this is starting to set up is the fact that the girls aren't against the Kennet others per se, at least not yet, but it is, it does feel like they're not as able to just kind of take them as resources anymore. Like the fact that the Kennet others are suspicious of them means that they're not by themselves and they're not against the Kennet others, but we're definitely kind of taking away the safety net that they seem like they've had so far in the story. As Miss went, so too did this place as a complete haven and a you know power source, right? Um, it's still that to an extent, but yeah. it's not so safe for them. Yes, and we'll get to talk a bit more about that when we have the confrontation about the leadership towards the end yes. as well. Um, but you're right. Like, I couldn't help but have my biggest immediate takeaway from this segment with John here being like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, John and the others in this town are fucking scary um, when yeah. you're up against them. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's starting to plant that seed of, you're not against them yet, but you also don't want to be. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, like John, uh, <laughs> John's so scary, and Avery just sort of directly calls it out in this hilariously innocent way. But I couldn't help just be like, "Oh my god!" Like, I hope they never have to go up against John. He's yes. terrifying. Yes, he is quite scary. Um, Avery gets scared by him, and then kind of gets upset at him for scaring her. And I'm kind of like, Avery, don't pretend this isn't your fault completely. <laughs> You're the one who was spying on him. Yeah, and I mean, John doesn't really like give any ground on that point, yeah. which I was like, yeah, fair. Um, I, I but, do want to call out that when Avery's spying on John, she says his name. She says, what's going on, John? With like talking to herself. And I feel like that's kind of when he starts to notice her. And I think the fact that she named him was enough to form enough of a connection to be like, hey, what's that kind of deal? Yeah, 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 probably. I mean, I, like, it's interesting how... Uh, like I, I would assume that it's a sort of thing where the more attention she puts on him, like yes. the more, yeah, the more it goes. And by doing yeah. something like saying his name, um, you're right, it was like probably not good. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like for for me, so the other thing apart from just reminding us how fucking terrifying John and and the town is, um, I felt the other thing this did for me is, as I sort of said, John, aside from a rough start, has always you know been pretty on the same page as the Kenneteers, like and Lucy sort of even goes into how she was thinking about having him as a familiar uh at the end of last chapter. Mm. Um you know, like they gave him a Pokemon game. Like that's a that's a sacred bond. And even if he's not involved, um and, and you know, he, he seems so cool most of the time, I want to believe he's not involved. Yeah. But it's just like this is one of those moments where it kind of feels like, well, the relationship has changed now. Like they're he has that natural distrust of practitioners. They have kind of tried to sneaky on him. Like, I, I just don't know. Yeah. It's going to be one of those marks on the relationship that won't go away. Yeah, once you've um, gone behind his back once, it's enough to, you know, make him be nervous towards you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I just, you know, he's not going to be the same ally he was. And, it, you know, again, that's why I'm kind of like, oh, well, you know, if, if he's going to be the next victim, and because that would be scary if John's another victim because he's another thing that shouldn't be killable. Mm. Um, but, yeah, like, so e even if he's not, like, even if he's going to be around, it's still, like, I just was like, oh, well, this is the end of John being a strong ally. Again, it comes down to this whole thing, like, with the Carmine Beast 
around, you know, particularly in Lucy's point of view, there's the daggers are out all over town and it's like, it's harder to maintain nice relationships. And I think we're sort of seeing that here. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, Avery uh, has this little encounter with John, but then heads back and the trio uh, start to interview Edith. Yes. Um, and so this is where I sort of want to bring up like Avery. And we saw this from Avery in, in the very start of the story. She has a very negative opinion of Matthew and Edith's relationship. And mm. it, it, it's used to really set this kind of Uneasy uncomfortable tone. tone. Yeah. Like, like th- this interview sort of starts off and it's like, okay, um, Edith is in clothes that don't look right on her, I think is sort of what Avery sort of says. And then Avery comments on how she's always sort of behind Matthew. And, and without mind, I couldn't help but notice that like, the interview is meant to be of Edith, but Matthew keeps answering more questions. Like it, whenever they ask something, it has to sort of, they have to sort of specifically say, Hey, Edith, yeah. or Matthew will kind of jump yeah. in and, and take it for both of them. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like the fact that these little details are brought up, it, it kind of prime you for, for feeling there's something off with these two, like as we get into yeah. the interview. What do you think about that? What, what do you think about, is there merit to that? Is it just, I mean, obviously Edith is on edge after chatting to her family. Is that it or is there more to it there? I, we, we talked about this, I think it was like in our third episode, like yes. when they went camping and yes. this is when Avery brought this up last time and I sort of said, given the way in Matthew's backstory it's been set up that he like shaped Edith yeah there's just such a potentially icky yes um like view on how she's kind of been molded by him yeah kind of along the same lines of like a love potion and how creepy that kind of yeah. is when you think about it right like yeah like a, made a grooming himself the perfect woman in air quotes like yeah exactly. like he sort of groomed her and, yes. and, and, like, and the thing is like we haven't seen evidence really for or against or we've seen it we haven't seen super strong evidence that sort of like confirms like oh yeah he, he's been a massive creeper here yeah but like and and they do that, seem to have quite a loving relationship right like clearly yeah they exactly do. but i mean you know that's what you have when one of you grooms yeah, the other one. Fair. um so, like, yeah, I don't. There's just there's like, like for me, there's that sort of stain on v- being able to view them as a as a good, healthy relationship because of that potential read, and and like that's that's sort of still there for me. So I I am just sort of inherently kind of like, hmm, okay, like what is going on here? Because I don't trust Matthew, and there's that whole tie, and I think people brought this up in Power Predictor, like you know, we know Charles is is you know Captain builds others and potentially yeah. has helped build the Hungry Choir, and you can't help but think, well. Him and Matthew are buddy buddy. Yeah. Like, is there something there? So, yeah, I I don't know, but like, yeah, I I do just I I tend to think Avery's probably thinking along the right track, cause, just because there is that, that read of their relationship and it hasn't been expressly deconfirmed yet. So mm. I'm like, oh, it could be. Mm. And yeah. Avery keeps bringing it up, so we're definitely meant to like think it's a possibility. There's meant to be something there. Yeah. Um, to touch on Edith a bit more, it, we really get a bit more of the kind of tragic mundaneness of her life here. The fact that she's kind of living a half-life, right? Like she has to be Edith James sometimes, which clearly is uncomfortable at best for her and and obviously quite draining. But she also kind of has to do it because it anchors her to reality, right? And if she doesn't pretend to be Edith James, she could potentially completely be lost. Yes. Um, 
it, it's yeah i mean like it just sounds like her, her whole situation sucks like as she says she doesn't naturally get held together so she's constantly having to fight just for her place and also she's having to fight for that place which is on the the way towards the bottom of the ladder like like yeah. her and you sort of go into this this whole thing which is like a, a fairly upfront analogy for like systemic oppression where it's kind yes. of like the, the world is designed to keep humans on top and so there's this unconscious bias like everyone will sort of have when interacting with them or filing papers to do with them where it just it will be more likely to go wrong or happen slower and you know so it just gives them way less opportunities to to be in a better place mm. yeah yeah um it's yeah, it is just systemic oppression of others from positions of power, right? Yeah, although what's interesting, like, here, it, like, it's very much framed as, <clears throat> oh, you know, it's not an individual, like, they won't notice they're doing it. It's just, like, the system is not even built. The system just is designed to do this. Like, it is human-centric. It's designed to do that. And it's, like, oh, it's, it's not that paper clerk's fault is is sort of how they frame it it's just like the universe will just conspire to do it and it's just like the system is broken it's not any specific individuals yeah yeah um <laughs> there's this part in this conversation where <clears throat> verona really just puts her foot in her mouth where she basically says oh you know uh, marissa has the moth thing and you're a candle right <laughs> it's just like <laughs> so blunt and this is the start in my mind of edith getting a little bit pissed off at these at these three yeah she's sort of like um i'm not a candle I'm not and she a sort of candle into- yeah like what uh. and again coming off the back of like this this metaphor for systemic oppression like it couldn't help but feel like this is one of those comments someone from a position of privilege just sort of says and doesn't realize like how insulting or, or rude it is how um, how um reductive it is yes right yes. um yeah absolutely um and, and i i mean yeah edith just kind of you know challenges it directly which is great and then she also makes a hilarious moth pun mm-hmm. um where she says matthew is the only moss drawn to my flame which i was Classic. again i was like well edith has to be the good guy yeah that's too good of a pun yeah <laughs> you can't be working on that sort of pun level and be the bad guy my heart will break <sighs> yeah i hope not i hope not that'll be tragic if it is true um yeah <laughs> the must of my flame it's classic it's a classic comment um so yeah also there's this bit where they talk about why they can't have kids but obviously let's just skip over that because it is pretty horrifying so scritchy scritchy yeah great baby's coming early um so eventually in this interview they drop the bomb asking edith where she is they kind of reveal or not quite reveal but just use the knowledge they gained that edith had not been at home and she tries to slip away out of it but they uh they continue to hound her um yeah yeah i, I mean they sort of they keep pressing and it becomes clear what's happening um but i love how e- even before we really dig into this we start to get these um ideas on like how edith's emotional state affects like her and the space around her like when matthew makes some comment about thinking of her as a job which again what the hell are you doing matthew um like she gets literally heated um and you know obviously that that becomes a big thing like as this conversation takes the the path edith doesn't want and it's just like i love how this world is is always set up so that the environment like has a reason in story for literally reflecting like what what's going on here 
Yeah, we get, yeah, it's beautiful, right? We get a lot of these beats of Avery kind of noticing the wind and stuff like that. And it, as Avery starts to, you know, big herself up to get her confidence ready for this more, more intense, actively ruffling feathers part of the conversation, you can feel the tension build up. And then literally Edith, you know, unintentionally, I guess, heats up the room as she gets tense and you feel it. You can feel the tension tangibly taking form in the scene as it happens. Great. Yeah. Like, like, you know, you could, in a movie where you have this sort of thing, it's like, you know, when, when this tension rises, like when they start challenging her and Edith starts to get upset, you know, the, the movie, it would change the lighting and it would make it like a bit darker or, or a bit redder or, or something. Right. And what I love is in story, that's kind of literally what's happening. Like, because Edith is a candle spirit it's she's able what well, she just sort of ambiently has that effect on the space like it's 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 so fun how story techniques are just woven into this world like this mm, yeah it's great um so yeah we we get the clue i guess that edith <laughs> did what is the spirit equivalent of going for a walk to clear her head in a mystery like this yeah. right and, and obviously that's something well, she that... literally cleared her head she hopped out of her head for <laughs> well, a bit. yes true <laughs> um and that, that's obviously big news that she didn't have an alibi i mean she can't lie and she said she had no problem with the carmine beast but potential avenues include one her body being unattended and someone else could have potentially used it somehow and two she could have you know she could have done anything in that time not Seemingly not specifically killed or harmed the Carmine Beast, but she didn't answer what she did during that time or if she met anybody else. She just kind of said, I just went to the spirit world, you know, like, you know, who knows what yeah. that means. Well, and then she kind of excuses herself from the table. She's yes. like, I'm not doing this. And, you know, there's the whole thing with her family. So you're kind of like, okay, like, I, I get that this actually wasn't the time to do this. It seems like a pretty good excuse. Um, so we'll try again tomorrow morning. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. But uh, I, I also love the bit where where Avery's getting ready because Avery sort of takes the lead here, um, which isn't normally something we see her do. Uh, mm. And she has this great moment where she, she starts to hesitate and then she sort of gets comfort just from like looking at and, and sort of making eye contact with Lucy and Verona. Mm. And so it's a really good, like, again, just highlighting how good these these three are for each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they, they, they do well, don't they? We, this scene has a lot of those kinds of interactions that are really nice. Um, yeah, yeah. So we get to the point where Edith has kind of stormed out a bit and, uh, obviously left some very lingering pauses, right? Um, and the group kind of continues to chat to Matthew a bit more uh, before he asks them to leave. And they finally ask about the leadership. Yes. Um, and I mean, it's funny, like Matthew sort of like earlier in this conversation, he was like, oh, we have five of us doing what Miss used to do uh, and we're not doing as good a job as she did by herself. And then when these three sort of are like, hey, w- what's happening in Otherland? He's like, it's none of your business. Get out of our, get out of a grill. And it's like, oh yeah, cool. Like creating a fissure here, that, that sure seems like the way to go, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Like I, I get it, but I was just like, oh, this is, I, I don't think this is the right way to do this. Yeah, I don't know. I'm. I think specifically not bringing up the leadership was wrong because it is, you know. I mean, it's what John said when when they chatted to Avery. Like, sorry, when John and Avery had that encounter, 
where Avery was like, oh, we were just checking up on you. It doesn't mean anything. And John was like, well, you ran away. Like, that's yeah. that's the real problem. The fact that you ran away implies you know something was wrong about what you were doing. Exactly. And similarly, Matthew hid this leadership thing, right? Like, he, he said, oh, I just didn't think it was relevant. But that's obviously nonsense, right? I, I also would be fine if it was, like, I wouldn't see it as an issue, except for the fact that he explicitly didn't bring it up, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I tend to agree. And I think he has some sort of excuse, doesn't he, of like, oh, you could use that to bind us and, and take everyone else in the town under. And it's kind of like, look, these three are now the practitioners of Kennet as far as the outside world is concerned. That's public knowledge now. You, you're you going to have to work with them. <laughs> you mm. can't hide who's in charge. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like, I, I get why he's done it, but I'm just like, Matthew, I don't think you're doing this the right way. I, I, I And there's all this stuff like, oh, we have to think five generations ahead. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. again, I, I get it, but I'm just like, oh, I, I don't, I don't think this is the right way to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I do feel that he's quite fair in this conversation. I do think he's been incorrect about not telling them, but in general, his responses are hard to argue with logically, right? Like, he, 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 they just can't trust them as much right now because they've been pushed so much closer to the edge of things going catastrophically, and it just they need to be more careful. Like. Fair enough, yeah. you know? And as Verona brings up, like, they now have, uh, the Kennetiers now have, like, access to other practitioners and a plan yes. to go and be with them for, yeah. like, a couple of months. Like, I think, like, an, an unimportant factor, like, we can't skip over. If they're going to go there for summer school, like, what are they going to be there for? One, two months? Mm. That's longer than they'll have been the practitioners of Kennet. Like, I think it's fair to sort of be like, well, okay, two months over there, you're going to have spent more time with the practitioners than you have with us. Yeah. Pretty valid reason to be concerned, honestly. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, yeah. I I do... Well, okay, first, before we get to that, I think the one other thing to worth touching on here is they do ask Matthew about the Hungry Choir and about what he would think about them teaming up to take it down, and he's receptive. He's, well, kind of. He doesn't make any firm commitments, but he does seem to say, yeah, I'm, like, on board in principle. It's just going to be really messy to to try and actually help you. Um, so I don't know what to make of that as well. It's I don't. It doesn't feel like he's involved with its creation, at least. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's interesting with all this stuff. And again, like I, I think the thing you got to keep in mind with this story is we've seen so many people uh, show the ability to forget things that, like, and in a story with consequences, like I, I'm I'm thinking on Dollhouse now with this whole idea of. Oh, if you just forget what you did, then there's no consequences. And that was basically a TV show saying, nah, there still is, though. Mm. Um, so, like, you know, are we going to find out that some of the people in town, like, were involved in making The Hungry Choir and then they felt bad, so they had their memories wiped? Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. We'll I mean, the thing have here is, see, is the, I suppose. The Canneteers frame this as like, Oh, if we have a plan, will you back us? And I, I felt like they gave the impression they did have a plan, which yeah, they, they don't, right? <laughs> yeah, not as far as I know. Yeah, I mean, they just, they just don't, right? Like, what was it that they? Every said, or Lucy, I can't remember who it was, said, "Hey, what if we had a way to take them out permanently?" And I was like, "Do you?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't exactly. Think you do. <laughs> it's news to me. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so uh, the the last thing to touch in here is again, I like. 
I'm I was obviously upset when Miss vanished from the story. That's sad, but yeah, I'm really liking the vibe that it has now. Right, it really feels more dangerous to just exist in the world now like the safety net is gone and i do love the vibe that that's added to the story yeah like as a like reader who enjoys the story in the abstract like it was it was totally a great choice because it is just like upended the status quo essentially like it's a great story device it's sort of the same thing where like you know the elliot who tries to treat the people in the story as real and cares about the characters when he like hears about the fairy, he's like, "Oh God, no! This is awful." Whereas, like, you know, the Elliot who's enjoying this as a story is like, "Fuck yeah! Let's get the fairy involved, like, make this shit go wild." Um, it's sort of the same thing. Like, I'm sad that Miss is gone, but also there's that part of me that's just like, "Oh, this is fun! Like, everything is gone to shit now." Mm. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, yeah, it's fun, but also <laughs> nerve wracking, I guess. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um. Yeah, I, and again, for me, it keeps coming back to this idea, like, people have sort of kept saying, oh, the longer the Carbine Beast's role isn't kept, like, the more things are going to get off kilter, and it, it really, it, like, that, that seems to be a prophecy that's coming true, uh, the daggers are coming out. Yeah. Um, but, to be fair, this, this chapter does end with Avery going home and having, like, this really nice moment with Snowdrop, where they just sort of hug and, and chat about the day. Um, I, like, I don't know, Snowdrop feels so good for Avery. Like, Avery sort of talks about how she doesn't want to go in and see her family. She just wants to hang out with Snowdrop and feed her milk. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm so terrified that something's going to happen to Snowdrop. Well, she's going to be the villain. We already discussed it. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, good point. I forgot. The villains of the show. Um, yeah. I, no, me too. I, I really do. Snowdrop is just such a delight, right? Are we getting to the point of the story where Snowdrop doesn't seem to be taking a front seat? She's just kind of background to Avery now. And I love it. She's just so great. Yes, she's, and she's wearing another, I, I can't even remember what it is, this uh, was an aesthetically, she's got like another shirt and it has another hilarious slogan on it, mm. aesthetically, so anyway, uh, the point is, <laughs> I've forgotten to, when, when do we get access to the Snowdrop fashion line, like when, when can I buy these shirts, Well, I want an extra material one week that's just yeah. the designs of all the Snowdrop shirts and links to buy them on Redbubble? Do you think that's why Wabo's? Done pale is to promote his new fashion line. <laughs> I, I hope so. The Snowdrop T line. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> I think it would sell pretty well. I'd wear them. And then, because it's, it's one of those things where people would be like, Elliot, why are you, as, as an adult male, wearing like, you know, aesthetically trash on your t shirt? And I'd be like, well, and I'll hand out business cards that just have a link to the pale website. So, <laughs> and fan art of Snowdrop on them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the end of 3.5. Um, it feels like we're getting to the point of the story where things are starting to collide, you know, threads are starting to tie together. Um, we'll have yeah. to see. Well, I suppose. It, it, it does feel like we're entering the sort of next phase of the story. Like yes. With, with the Forest Ribbon Trail ending and, like, misleaving and, and the, the Bell and Jay stuff kind of hitting this stalemate, mm. these last couple of chapters have sort of felt like, okay, We've sort of, you know, had had all our immediate problems take a bit of a back seat, and we're kind of recalibrating and bringing stuff together, introducing new mysteries, and we're going to push forward into like, yeah, the the next phase of this story. You know what the real problem is, Elliot? Is 
We still haven't learned what miss is short for. Is it short for mystery? Is it short for missing? <laughs> it's got to be something, right? But what? But what? And when we find out, it's going to unravel all the clues. I'm so sure. <laughs> yeah, that. that's that'll be the that'll be the important piece for sure. It missing <clears throat> seems quite likely at this point because we know she was lost. Yeah, I, I think that's the pun she was going for. Mm. Mm. Anyway, um, I, I mean, it's fair to say we miss her, right? Maybe that's it. Maybe that's why she's called that. It's another level. So, higher. <laughs> moving on to the three point five extra material, uh, which was gifts received. Uh, yes. So this is basically a big list of all the gifts that they've got. And it's good. It's nice. It's a good little summary. It doesn't feel like it's got any clues hidden in it. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, like it, it, it kind of overlaps in some ways, obviously, with like the Verona email one that we had, which I think was also just called Gifts Received. Um, I quite liked this one, though, as its ability to just act like a checklist. Like the the verbosity of the Verona email one. mm was great and gave me tons of new information but you know by the Mm. time i got to the bottom of it i kind of was like wait so what are all the gifts again yeah because this is just like this is going to be super handy to just sort of go back to and and just sort of remember all the stuff they have had or 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 do have Mm. um in in a very quick and easy format to go like ah yes 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 no they've done x y z you know Mm. yeah Um, yeah, but no, this is one I, I think I see myself coming back to a lot more than the the emails ones because just because it's, just it's a, in nicer format for you, I guess. Yeah, it, it, you know, it is a nice little checklist. Like that's how it's formatted, and I, I like. I think that there's benefit in having it framed that way. Yeah, yeah, um, yes. So, uh, do you have anything else you want to say about it? I don't know. It's, it feels like we've touched on it for a very short amount of time, but I don't think there's that much to talk about for it. Ah, uh, no, no, like, again, I, I feel like it's one I'm going to come back to more than I'm going to, like, use it right now. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the art the art was very good in it. There's lots of, like, yes, true. neat little drawings yeah, associated with all the things. Mm. Yeah. We get, like, I think what might be our biggest profile of what I assume is Verona down the bottom. Mm. Yes, I think it is. It's hard to say, isn't it? Yeah. But it's definitely not. A, well, I no, think it's it has Verona. to be Verona. It can't yeah. be. It can't be Avery, and it can't and be Lucy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, all right. So moving on, uh, let's talk about some predictions from Pale Predictor. Yes. Uh, so what have you got for us, Rube? I brought a prediction from Sarah Penguin, um, and this is kind of what I touched on before: the idea that we don't have a good motive for what's been going on with the Carmine Beast, right? Um, sure. I actually don't, can't think of a motive for anything that's happened except for it's something to do with the hungry choir stuff. Right. Uh, which feels a little shallow right now. Like we don't have enough on that to see why that would tie in. So, uh, yeah, I brought a prediction from Sarah penguin who's talking about, you know, a whodunit. And, uh, Sarah thinks that it was, um, basically that it's a power play. Somebody is doing this as a way of distracting Alexander Belanger with something Mm. interesting enough to draw his attention that they can do something else, you know, draw in Nicolette potentially or make a power play for the school, something along those lines. So theoretically, maybe Chase is behind it all or the one who went to Skype his girlfriend is actually the villain of the whole piece. Who knows? Interesting. I- interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely because you're right. Like, I, I don't yet have a, a grasp on how I think the Bellingers will fit into the grand scheme of things. Mm. 
like, you know, I obviously sort of posited this idea earlier that I'm kind of sticking with now that like Charles is maybe want or, you know, now that he has it is wanting to alter the Carmine beast just because I think that would interestingly fit into the ideas of like justice and consequences that we're talking about. Yes. Having him kind of vigilante a new judicial system into the area. Yeah, I can see that one. Um, but like that doesn't account for all the stuff going on outside of Kennet, which which feels a little flat. So like it, it, there's probably more to it than that. Um, mm. and, and like Sarah's got some interesting ideas in that direction, I think. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, cool. <clears throat> do, do you have a prediction that you wanted to highlight for us? Yes. Uh, so I pulled out a prediction by Propaganda Pagoda. Okay, I love that name. It's a great name. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very good one. Um, and and so basically, th- this was just a bit of a miscellaneous one. Um, uh, Pagoda's talking about how like Verona <clears throat> keeps using this connection breaking stuff. We we've seen so much of it. She uses a bit of it in the classroom. Uh, in this in chapter three point four, I think. Um, basically, Pagoda thinks, well, Verona using all this connection-breaking stuff and kind of abusing the the universe's conspiracy to keep the trio together because they awoke together is going to continue to affect her relationship with her dad. And, like, we're maybe already seeing some rebound, but if she keeps pushing it, there'll be, like, this colossal shift. And, um, like, Pagoda's idea is the world will, like, assume a new normal where Verona just is free of her dad. Mm. Um but it'll be some sort of like monkey monkey's paw. paw. Yeah. Uh, they specifically use the term Tobias question mark, which I think is a reference that I don't understand. I, I think, I think it's a reference to animals. I think they're saying she's going to get stuck in an animal form basically. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> There's okay. been I... a lot of references. We've, we made too many references to getting stuck as an animal, which is Tobiasing, obviously, in Animorphs. And, oh, and I do remember you saying that. Yeah. Shorthand for it. Sorry, I only f- saw a handful of episodes of that show growing up. Show? Um, it was books, Elliot. What are you even talking about? Was there I, a show? I, I, okay, I'm only familiar with the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, never mind. <laughs> um. Anyway, yes. Sorry. So back to Pagoda's stuff. Um. So basically, yeah, this idea that Verona is going to continue sort of kicking the real, like you're dealing with real life stuff down the road and it's like going to explode and she's going to realize that that's not actually what she wants, but it will be too late. Um, And her response to that will probably be to continue throwing herself into other things like summer school. So that, that's that's sort of what Pagoda was talking about. I, I just thought this was a really interesting one to kind of, there, there's st- stuff been going on with Verona and her dad. And that happened, what, four chapters ago now? And mm. we've just had Avery and Lucy chapters since then. We've had two from each of them. So mm. this Verona's dad stuff has kind of been cooking uh, and we're not seeing where it's going. We're just getting little glimpses. And I like how Propaganda Pagoda's trying to think on it and you know think about where it might be going even longer term. Yeah, I like that. Who knows? I, I, I mean, obviously Verona and her dad has been this consistent terror every every single <laughs> verona chapter and you know when we get a, a three chapter break from verona as we sometimes do it's easy to let that slip into the background of your mind but it is an eternal problem that is consistently getting worse right so yeah. i don't know I, yeah there's going to be some blow up of it and it's going to come before the end of this before the start of the summer school right because that's when she's got mum stuff to figure out. So it's going to be at least yes. either then or before then. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, it's going to be so interesting when her mum comes into it, and then there's the summer school too, because, like, either way, because there's two reactions her mum can have, right? Her mum can mm. either be like, oh, that's great, I don't have to have you, which is its own sort of awful. Yeah, um, wow. Or her mum's going to be like, no, this is my summer with you, your dad's done this, I feel like would be the other response. And then it's just going to get, like, you know, just what Verona's family needs is more conflict, Uh and that's what Kenneth is just going to do to places at the moment. So, yeah. Yep. I can't, I can't wait. I, I, I'm curious, like, how summer school will be handled from the story, just, like, from the perspective of it's been, like, three arcs and we've covered, like, two-ish weeks. Like, are uh, we going to have to have some sort of, like, time skip? I think the story's going to end before we get there, honestly. I think the story's going to end and we're going to get an epilogue or two that's like, hey, and here's how that shakes out. Yeah, I could see that. Um is my gut feeling, but I don't fucking know. I'm not wild. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, so, uh, well, that's the, <laughs> I guess that's the end of our show, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks for joining us, folks. If you have thoughts on these two chapters that we've discussed or the predictions or just anything in general, uh, the episode in general, feel free to leave it in the discussion thread, which will be linked down in the show notes down below. Yes, and don't forget, as we mentioned at the start of the episode, we're running that fan art contest. Mm-hmm. You send your fan art to fanart at doofmedia.com. Do it. Uh, and then it will be our patrons who actually vote on that at the end. So anyone can submit art, mm-hmm. um, but it's our patrons who vote for the, the winner who wins the cash prize of 100 US dollary dues. Whoa, US dollary dues. That's even better. There's also, I think, $25 prizes for the runner-up. Yeah. So it's all kinds of cool stuff. Um, if you want more information on that, head to doofmedia.com where you can find all the other great shows on the Doof Media Network. Yes, uh, one of those coming up, you know, 12-ish hours after this episode comes out mm-hmm. is the Game Club that we referenced earlier uh, where Ruben and I will be talking about Outer Wilds. Yes, if you like trippy, mind-bending, weird shenanigans, and I think you do <laughs> if you're listening to this, then check it out. It's a good game and it'll be a great show, I am sure. I mean, we haven't recorded yeah. it yet, but I'm sure it'll be fun. Yeah, I don't this, know. I think, is the one I'm the most excited to dive into. Yes, me too. Uh, me yeah, too. Like there's there's going to be a lot to say on this. It, it's a fascinating game. Yeah. Um, if you want even more discussion on the Game Club game, one of the places that there is more discussion on each of these games every month is the Doof Media Patreon. So um, if you want to... Sorry. The Doof Media Discord, which you get access to if you're a patron. <laughs> so if you want that, uh, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Doof Media and check out all the cool rewards tiers. Yes, our the Game Club channel in our Discord has been an absolute delight this month. It really, uh, and really most, has. Particularly, like, since, since it launched most months, I think our Game Club yeah. channel has been uh, an absolute highlight of the month. Yeah. Um. So please come join us if you can. Yeah. Um, While you're but on, don't forget. Oh, no, please. I mean, I have one. I have a good one if you... okay no no go for it please well i've kind of got it's not fully formed i'll workshop it and you tell me what you think okay i'm nervous i'm not gonna lie and if you want to support wildbo and hopefully incentivize him to produce his own range of snowdrop related merch why don't you head on over to patreon.com forward slash wildbo and support him does that work is that something yeah no i I mean yeah i'm I'm behind that don't pressure him into it yeah totally you know just you know just just make make it clear that you know the the demand is out there. <laughs> don't do that. Don't, don't, don't be a nuisance. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah no, maybe no. not. Maybe. We we, anyway. we may not get it, but it exists in our hearts. Yeah. The only way is to try. Um, yeah. And so on that note, <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week for what I assume is two more chapters of Arc 3. Yeah. 
I have no idea where we go. I know what's. I mean, I it's just going to be something horrible. Like it feels like the story is getting to a point where it needs another inciting incident to really kick it into high gear, and it's just going to be about the murder. Like Alpi's going to get murdered. I'm so sure. It's been three chapters since like something terrible and fast paced happened. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We're overdue for another horror. Yeah, I I agree. Like I feel like we're going to start doing something next chapter, and then yeah, John's going to get murdered. It's going to be Edith or Matthew, I think. Oh, that'd be right. All the ways. Well, I think either either Edith or Matthew, possibly Matthew, because it will send the other one of them really over the edge, and it will just be such a mess, right? That's that's true. That's true. Um, anyway, well, we shall see. <laughs> that's the end of our show. See you, folks. See ya.